Today's episode is about empathy. What is empathy? Empathy is mastering the knowing of what is yours and what is someone else's and skillfully responding emotionally and intellectually based on the circumstance and the human in front of you. Empathy is trainable. It's not a muscle or a brain type that some people have and others don't. And empathy is worthwhile to take the time to develop in ourselves, our schools, businesses, organizations, and political groups. Finally, embodiment is the only way to training empathy. We cannot intellectualize or storytell around empathy to get it right. Getting it is not enough. I'm going to talk about how fully understanding how people feel and where they're coming from is not empathy, and how without total empathy, we manipulate rather than move. Coming from a formerly self-diagnosed sociopath to an empathy queen or someone who has worked on unlocking and nurturing her empathetic nature, I present to you this episode. Welcome to the Spiritual 9 to 5 podcast, where the vibe is to be kind and stay in our work always. I'm your host, Marie Groover, founder of Essential Teams and the Corporate Psychic, two businesses that are here to awaken the soul of corporate and the world that we live in. It is to reconnect us with our shared human experience and feelings of fulfillment and joy while getting meaningful shit done. And this podcast, The Spiritual 9 to 5, is one way that we do just that. When I was in college, I studied philosophy. And I was interested in the intersection of philosophy and human behavior. I wanted to know why we behave the way we do, and then if it was justified to behave that way, or if we ought to be behaving differently. I studied philosophy because I love wisdom, always have, still do, and truly, at that time, I wanted to know the best way that I could live my own life. In that time of my life, I was really concerned and interested in living the, quote, right way, unquote. I was obsessed with ethics and morals and, again, how we ought to be living and being as people, um, mostly as individuals, but definitely also culturally and societally. Fast forward to today, by the way, and I am still very much interested in these things. However, today I place a lot more emphasis on joy and integrity on an individual level versus what is right or wrong at scale. I don't think I believe in objective right and wrong anymore. And I think that there are so many truths and ways of being and situational variances that I am so much less rigid in my thinking and my philosophies than I was 12 or so years ago. All of that being said, back in my undergrad career, I dove deep into neuroscience, evolutionary ethics, psychology, and in my research, I was really interested in the way that our brains shape our behavior, specifically bad behavior. <laughs> Who isn't interested in bad behavior? <laughs> and I wanted to know to what extent can we be held accountable for bad behavior? 
Disclaimer, this podcast episode is absolutely not about accountability or good versus bad behavior. All of this is context. Bear with me. I promise it will be worthwhile. (laughs) So for example, back in college, I read a case study about a man who executed a public shooting. This man deeply believed that something was wrong with him. And so with his body, his dead body, he left a note asking for science to please check him out. Turns out he had a brain tumor. And turns out there are a lot of instances of brain tumors, lesions, injuries, or traumatic accidents to the brain, instances where something physical and out of human control changes the state of the brain or the physiology of the brain, and a massive shift in behavior, character, qualities will follow. And it works both ways, by the way. There are also reported cases where a person will develop a brain tumor or suffer a traumatic brain injury and they become nicer, kinder, more empathetic people. It's really fascinating. If this is interesting to you, by the way, you can check out the work of the late Oliver Sacks and then just start to go down the rabbit hole wherever it takes you. So down my former college rabbit hole, I had a phase where I got kind of obsessed with sociopaths and psychopaths. I remember reading many books, but one of the books that I read was called The Sociopath Next Door. And I was shocked and something in me also was thrilled (laughs) to find that so many sociopaths or people that we would classify as sociopaths walk regularly among us. And for a while, I was actually quite convinced that so many people in my life were sociopaths. (laughs) I was really in it, y'all. I was so in it that I remember sitting, (laughs) I'm embarrassed. (laughs) I remember sitting one of my roommates down and telling him that I believed that our other roommate had sociopathic tendencies. And then I remember even reading the list of sociopathic descriptors or qualifiers to my roommate in question. Good Lord, Marie, I don't know what I was thinking. And I am so sorry to this roommate publicly. I'm so sorry. Uh, Privately, we've already had this conversation. (laughs) But I'm also so thankful at his grace for just like calling me cute and letting me roll with this phase in my life. But I'm sharing this embarrassing moment because I want you to really see my obsession (laughs) so that you can really feel the irony and the embarrassment for what is to come in this story. So fast forward a couple of years, I've graduated with my degree in philosophy. I'm working toward a master's in computer information systems. I'm living in Atlanta and working at a health technology company. And this company was the first that I had the pleasure to work with who did employee personality insights testing. For anyone listening who isn't in corporate and hasn't taken a test like this, it's like astrology or human design for the office, (laughs) AKA Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, Discover Insights, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There are many different flavors. Some of these insights testing are amazing. Some of them are duds but there's science and research behind many of these. And personally, I'm a huge fan because 
I love anything that can tell me more about myself and more about the people around me. Obviously, (laughs) I am a coach. I work in personal development. I coach entrepreneurs, executives, teams, and even organizations. And what I'm about to tell you could have even been the birth of my journey into personal and leadership development. I don't remember what this particular assessment was called, but what I do remember is that I scored a 100, like 10 out of 10, for being able to understand where people are coming from, how they are feeling, and why. So I demonstrated a deep understanding of people and how people work and feel and interact and their circumstance and their motivations and their desires. And... I scored a 0 out of 10 for empathy. I'm not kidding, a 0. It was a literal 0. I remember being shocked. At that time, I worked on a data analytics team, and I was an analyst. So empathy wasn't necessarily like the top priority of our team. This was also like pre the corporate trend of embracing empathy and kindness and compassion in the office. So it definitely wasn't on our radar at that point. And we were all pretty numbers driven and science driven. And I wouldn't say that soft skills were something we particularly cared about developing on this team. I remember my boss actually making a joke about my scoring. She said something like, so you understand how people feel and why, but you just don't care. And I laughed. Everyone laughed. This was in front of the team. We were all laughing. And I remember thinking while I was laughing, shit, this isn't okay. And I had all these questions for myself. Wasn't the reason that I was obsessed with human behavior and how we ought to be living because I cared about people? Did I actually not care about people at all? Did I only care about people in the ways that could advance my career or life? Did I only care about control? What was going on here? Was I a sociopath? And (laughs) around this time, I ironically also read an article about a neuroscientist who actually took fMRI images or scans of the brain and could identify people who were sociopathic or had sociopathic tendencies according to their brains. And he scanned hundreds of people. One day, he scanned himself, and he was surprised to find that his brain actually had the same patterns that he recognized in sociopaths. And it kind of shook him, too. It was a similar moment, I think, to my moment, but maybe his moment was a little bit more profound. Um, And he wrote an article about it. When he wrote the article, he talked about nature versus nurture and how he was fortunate enough to grow up in a home that taught him how to love and be empathetic. And he speculated that if he had not grown up in that loving environment, he might have turned out differently. I was like, is this me? Of course, I wanted more than anything to get my brain scanned at that point, (laughs) but That also wasn't the most accessible thing for me at that time in my life. So I kind of just moved on and accepted that maybe I lacked the ability to be empathetic, to have empathy. I kind of made this assumption that my brain was just designed differently or that, you know, I was um, created differently or however we want to look at that, but that this wasn't a muscle I could flex. But this assessment really ate at me. 
And I actually started studying people in my life who were genuinely kind and empathetic. I'm super fortunate to have grown up with an angel role model of a best friend. Her name is Andrea. Andrea is the kindest, nicest, most positive person I have ever known. I remember in high school, I convinced her to run cross country with me and she hated it. <laughs> she hated it. But she ran our entire first practice, which wasn't an easy first practice, with a smile on her face the whole time. I will never forget it. I was just in shock. Like, how are you? How are you looking the way you're looking right now? And she ended up quitting lovingly after that practice. But I remember it sticking with me, just her dedication to positivity. But I wouldn't even say dedication to positivity, her natural positive demeanor. And with that, her natural kindness, she is someone who always assumes positive intent in others. She's someone who always greets people with love and understanding and genuine care. She is someone who is always working to find the connection point. I've known her now for 22 years. We met when we were 11 years old. And I've seen this consistently throughout the entirety of my knowing of her, knowing of her deeply. And despite the circumstance, despite the human being in front of her, 100% of the time, she is unconditionally loving and fully free of judgment. This is like a natural, I would totally say that her brain is wired in this way (laughs) and that she continues to train that, right? To paint this picture brighter, at the peak of this country's, the the USA, America, our division over politics and COVID and all of the things that continue to be a divide or a debate, Andrea was the most connective person I have ever witnessed. She took time to really understand where people are coming from who have very, very, very different views and perspectives and ideologies than hers, and she loved them all anyways. She meets people where they are, and she feels what they feel alongside them. Empathy is her superpower. And literally since I have known her, this is what I have witnessed. I have to pause here for a moment because oftentimes when we talk about empathy, at least in the spiritual space, we'll begin to talk about uh, being an empath. It's the natural ability to feel what others are feeling. And in this space, we often talk about protecting our energy from other people. And spoiler alert, (laughs) I am not a sociopath, but I am actually an empath. And when I was at that health technology company, I was fully protected and fully cut off energetically from the world around me. I knew very clearly how people felt, but I actually and truly did not care. It was a surprise to me that I didn't care, but in reality, I did not care. The way that I grew up, it was actually safer for me to be and live that way. So putting up these really strong boundaries was a survival mechanism for me. And this is important because mastering empathy is not about simply feeling what others feel or knowing where they are coming from and why. It's also not about disconnecting yourself from others and protecting your energy. It's also not about giving everything away to others. It's about mastering the knowing 
of what is yours and what is someone else's and skillfully responding emotionally and intellectually based on the circumstance and the human in front of you. Meeting others in empathy does not make you a pushover. It does not mean that you appease everyone else's desires or wants or needs. It simply means that you see them. And sometimes the most loving thing you can do for someone else is to see them fully while you hand them back their own side of the street. It's trusting the person in front of you to lead themselves through whatever it is that they are holding while you see them, witness them, observe them, hold space for them. You're not shutting them out, right? So it's not shutting someone else, shutting someone out, and it's also not doing the thing for them. Mastering empathy is mastering boundaries. And in my early 20s, this was something that I didn't yet understand. So back when I scored a 0 out of 10 on the empathy scale, I remember reflecting on Andrea's natural ways of being. And I remember beginning to emulate those ways of being. I used to ask myself regularly, what would Andrea do? (laughs) And over time, something really fascinating happened. My philosophy of life and way of being changed dramatically. I went from general indifference towards strangers and slight irritation when someone around me was not getting it to desiring, like actually wanting to be a light in people's days. I remember wanting to never be the reason that someone frowned if I could help it. And I don't mean that I never wanted to deliver difficult messages or engage in conflict conversations. I mean that when I ordered a coffee, I wanted to genuinely be cheerful. That when I checked out at the grocery store, I wasn't letting a rough day in the office spill over into my interaction with the cashier. That when I came across someone new, I was a clean slate so that I could be of genuine interaction and connection with them. I started really caring about how I affected the world and how I made other people feel and what the quality of my connections were. I started genuinely caring about other people. Empathy became second nature to me. Now, at the time I took the test, I did not know that we were malleable beings, or at least that we are as malleable as we really are. And so I assumed that I didn't have the empathy muscle and would never have it. I really thought, like, how ironic. I'm probably a sociopath. (laughs) Very dramatic, I know. But fast forward to my days at Microsoft. Not long after I started, I took a very similar test and my score was 10 out of 10 for empathy. So in a matter of maybe two years, I went from zero out of 10 in empathy to 10 out of 10 in empathy. That's a pretty dramatic change. And I think it's an example of proof that Aristotle was onto something in his book, The Nicomachean Ethics. So in The Nicomachean Ethics, Aristotle says this, If you want to be a painter, you paint. If you want to be a virtuous person, you do virtuous things. Over time, however you choose to be, it will become a habit. 
it will become ingrained in you, like second nature. I.e., if you do virtuous things over and over and over again, your character will become of virtue. Modern manifestors and super coaches and neuroscientists now say the same thing, by the way. And I add this. If you want to train empathy or any quality or way of being, any characteristic of virtue, you have to practice. You can't just talk about it, intellectualize it, or understand it. You have to do it. You have to be it. You have to make it a habit. This is important because so much of what we do is get out of our bodies and into our minds. We intellectualize our feelings, our experiences. We explain things away. We think we understand, so we move on. But remember, I studied human behavior arguably to the extent that I got really good at understanding where people were coming from. Yet, I could not empathize with them, which means that at that moment in my career, I was probably a master manipulator, not a true motivator or leader or manager of people or role model or good example. And how many people in the corporate world can you think of right now who act and lead and manage in that same exact way? Connected to their minds disconnected to their bodies, connected to an extent to other people, disconnected to genuine connection, missing the mark. And these people are probably good people with good intentions. I had the best intentions, but I was still missing the mark. You might have the best intentions, but you too might be missing the mark. And missing the mark can be tremendously harmful to yourself and the people around you, especially when your influence is massive in a corporate space or an organization or a school or a community. How do you impact the world around you? What is the quality of your connection with people in your life, strangers that you come into contact with, humans that you work for, with, or even manage. And what do we do about it? This is the juicy bit and the entire point of this podcast episode. Empathy can be trained, but it must be practiced. It cannot be intellectualized, understood, or taught in a way that puts the power of empathy into context or, quote, make sense for others. It needs to be experienced and embodied and practiced for it to take. Empathy, I believe, is also a basic requirement for the full human experience. If we are not empathetic with others, we are probably not aware and compassionate with ourselves. We are probably not connected truly with ourselves. We probably are not feeling connected truly with anyone else. So if you are like young me (laughs) and you think, I just don't have that muscle. 
Or you might think, so-and-so at work just doesn't have that muscle. Don't settle there. Figure out why. Find ways to practice kindness and empathy and compassion over and over again. And to unpack a little bit of what was happening with me for context, I grew up with massive, regular, and consistent trauma in my home. I learned that it was not safe to feel what other people were feeling and that it was not safe to extend empathy or that it would be taken advantage of or used against me. I learned to completely shut the feeling part of my experience out as a way to protect myself as a little kid. But I was always perceptive. Actually, knowing how other people were feeling was also necessary for my safety and survival as a kid. If you've experienced trauma as a child, you're probably naturally very empathetic, as in you naturally understand where people are coming from or what they're feeling and why. But you might not be empathetic in that you can extend the feelings into yourself, right? Because when I was a little kid, I couldn't allow myself to feel. And that pattern extended into my early adulthood. Actually, I would say that I was stunted in that area of growth. So I had to develop it. And I'm absolutely not saying that anyone who is a jerk in the office or lacking soft skills had a similar experience. But I am saying that we don't know. We don't know the deep and complex inner experience and history of anyone else. And we can't write that off. It's worthwhile to train soft skills. It's worthwhile to train empathy in ourselves and in our offices and in our schools and our organizations. And (laughs) I offer a training experience that does just that. It's called From IQ to EQ, and it's developed for small corporate teams and large organizations. Remember, it's not intellectualizing, it's not even storytelling that cracks the seed of empathy or soft skill development in people or in us. It's practice. It's intentionally experiencing that which we want to develop. And that's what From IQ to EQ does. So that's it. That's our show. (laughs) From self-diagnosed sociopath to empathy queen, I invite you to check out my work at youressentialteam.com or if you're into spiritual shit to check me out at thecorppsychic.com that's also where you can find podcast transcripts and many other super juicy resources that are also helpful in training your integrity thank you so much for listening to this episode of the spiritual nine to five podcast Please, please, please share this episode or your favorite episode or the show link itself with everyone that you think would resonate. It makes such a difference and it means the world to me. And connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm not really on other social media platforms, but you can connect directly on LinkedIn. I would love to hear from you what you enjoy or how this podcast has affected you, so don't be shy. You can find me at Marie Groover. And... Thank you again. Until next time, good day.